Hello and welcome to Every 80s Movie, where we're going to attempt to review every 80s movie. I'm Ron. And I'm Sam. And what better way to start a 80s podcast in December than with a classic, Die Hard. Uh, let's dive into the back of the box for you to give you a basic summary. 40 stories of sheer terror. Samantha, are you ready for this? I'm pumped. <laughs> All right, the back of the box synopsis. Bruce Willis stars as New York detective John McClane. Newly arrived in Los Angeles to spend the Christmas holiday with his estranged wife, but as McLean waits for his wife's office party to break up, terrorists seize control of the building. While the terrorist leader, Hans Gruber, and his savage henchmen round up hostages, McLean slips away unnoticed. Armed with only a service revolver and his cunning, McLean launches his own one-man war. A crackling thriller from beginning to end, Die Hard explodes with heart-stopping suspense. You pulling it off the shelf? I did pull it off the mm. shelf and then owned it. No, no doubt about that. All right. The basic breakdown, uh, this was directed by John McTiernan. It was written by Jeb Stewart and Stephen D'Souza, based on a novel by Roderick Thorpe. Uh, like we said, it stars Bruce Willis, along with Alan Rickman, Bonnie Bedelia, and Reginald Vell Johnson. And this Carl Winslow. And uh, this one was released July 12th, 1988. Does this break your uh, Christmas movies in the summer? I know you like to watch things in the season. Yeah, I don't like to watch anything that takes place in the opposite season. Like winter movies in the summer and vice versa. I find it wrong. It feels wrong. Unless it's like a new release. But, and this one is though definitely breaks my rule. Even though technically it takes place during December. It's just in a It's a Christmas climate. party. Yeah. It's in a warmer climate. So the California setting makes it passable. Would you watch this in July? No. Do you, when, when was the first time you saw this? I don't even remember. I uh, It's a long joke. Everybody busts my chops about how I've seen The Exorcist when I was in the womb. When you were two years old? Yes. Uh, I saw this when it was at an inappropriate age. Very young. Very, very young. We were allowed to rent whatever we wanted at the video store. So this VHS was... Definitely hitting, pulled off the shelf. Our, Hitting our VCR probably right as soon as it came out. Okay. My parents were known to even take us to see these types of movies when we were children in the theater. So. Now, I originally had thought that you might have been exaggerating that and until I saw your mother show your four-year-old niece Poltergeist. And The Ring. And The Ring. <laughs> And now she wonders why does she have 
why is she scared Reason of Halloween? <laughs> why is she scared of Halloween decorations? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, before I forget, I wanted to say so that we can kind of keep tabs of these kinds of things. Uh, this was distributed by 20th Century Fox back when they existed. No longer. No longer. All right. Well, Sam, I guess the 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 big, you know, we're we're watching this obviously in December mm-hmm. because we we view it as a Christmas movie. Yes. But that is a long running debate. It is. Do you do you think it's a legitimate debate? People who say no are dumb. All right, coming right out. <laughs> coming right out swinging. It takes place at a Christmas party. I don't understand. Again, I understand that it's uh, you know, it's uh taking place in a warmer climate, but it is and just cuz it's an action movie. Christmas doesn't stop just because, you know, some thieves take over a tower. So you think that the party still continues? I mean, maybe after they (laughs) clean up, you know, a lot of the paper and bonds that are exploding in the sky and some of the blood and shattered glass. Yeah, once you pick up the lost FBI agents. Some of the blood and body parts and, you know. Now, when we were watching this the other day, um, you were getting especially excited for uh, Alan Rickman. Yes. And this was his first film role. Amazing. Right out of the gate. Amazing. Where do you put Hans Gruber in your uh, villain rankings how does he stack up as a baddie he's up there and especially as the of the 80s villains he has so many little idiosyncrasies that are just subtle but make him so unique uh i always say gordon gecko is one of my favorite villains of all time and he's kind of up there uh in villains who wear suits especially in the 80s uh he's up there he is not a cliche. He made that role completely unique. And again, he just does all these little quirks that he does with his mouth or gestures that are a delight to watch. You know, I I feel like Die Hard is one of those movies that I've probably seen. I mean, every year you watch it and you almost kind of take it for granted after a while. But Watching it again, like trying to be a little bit more uh, attentive this time, not just like, oh my God, Die Hard's on, let's throw that on. They don't really waste any time. You're you're starting it off with, you know, uh, John McClane showing up. I mean, you open up with is uh, the weirdo <laughs> Ellis. Uh, was yeah, Ellis is great. Hart Bachner blowing lines off off the desk. Yeah. He's like the used car salesman cokehead. Oh my god. <laughs> Showing the watch. Yeah. It's a Rolex. Like I'm when he smiles, it looks like he's like teeth are just going to go ding. <laughs> he's fantastic as just the the cheese ball cokehead. Um but yeah, this movie isn't 
cheesy either, which is fantastic. Uh, there's a lot of 80s movies that are amazing, that are just cheeseball city. This movie actually is still a white knuckler a lot of times. Even uh, especially the ending, you're still on the edge of your seat, even though you know what's going to happen. Spoiler, Hans falls out the window. <laughs> yes. I don't know if you know that or, uh, you know, the movie that's a few decades old, but. Yeah, we're, we're not going to uh, shy away from spoilers on this show because, again, these are movies that are 40 years old. Yeah. So, you know. <laughs> If you haven't gotten that's around to it you. yet, yeah. If you haven't gotten around to it yet, that that's on you. Um, but yeah, this is it's it's a white knuckler. I mean, right off the jump, they do all a lot of character work in the first like fifteen minutes of the movie. They've kind of laid out the relationships between everybody, and you do kind of get, you know, you get the the marital trouble between uh, Holly and John. You get. The, the work dynamic and you can see where it is kind of like because one of the things is when he first when john first shows up at nakatomi towers he's got to punch in to search for her what floor she's on and she's using her maiden name Gennaro rather than mclean they're separated but at the same time it's like kind of playing into the like and, and you see it with Ellis. You see it with um, the way that she's interacting with like her coworkers, her bosses, the whole thing where it's like she kind of has to be, you know, the the power suit, you know, woman in the 80s trying to make it in corporate. You know, I, I don't think that she could probably get away with blowing lines off of her, <laughs> <laughs> off of her desk. Like Ellis does. They would be caught like, uh, she would get a lot of powder caught in her perm. That would be the problem. That is some solid, solid 80s hair. They're, they're definitely, yeah. they're ripping some holes in the ozone uh, At with the least hair. a can of Aquanet for her hair alone. <laughs> yeah, she's probably going through a can a week. If not, maybe, maybe two weeks. Um, she is though... Uh, a great character in the fact that she's strong, yet she still has that vulnerability. Same thing with John McClane. He is a very endearing character, and both of them are uh, a perfect match where they could have easily been written to where it's like, oh yeah, these two probably shouldn't be together, but you're rooting for them to get back together. And uh, you could see that... Uh, you know, you could see where they would have their struggles, but uh, again, you're rooting for them the whole time. Now, I had mentioned at the at the top that this was based on a book uh, by Roderick Thorpe. Uh, the book was called Nothing Lasts Forever. And when this movie was first being uh, put together... Clint Eastwood owned the rights to the story, and he was going to make this movie with Clint Eastwood playing the John McClane role. Oh, God. Now, what do you think about... If no. No. I think that would have been 
a terrible choice. How so? I think that, and I was saying this when we were rewatching the movie, I think that uh, Bruce Willis was the most perfect casting. He looks like a veteran New York cop. He's got that every man quality. He's got his chest hair showing. Mm-hmm. I think we need to bring back some chest hair in action movies. He's not roided up. He doesn't look like he is going to... He's not a superhero. Yeah, he doesn't look like he's going to uh, like easily lift a car with one arm and it's believable. He's just a, a very it, like in-shape everyman. His, like, I always say, and we were talking about this when we were watching it, I never think of Bruce Willis as a necessarily tall man. Mm-hmm. I always thought he was on the shorter side, and and we were debating this, and I had to look it up. He's around average height. He's, and what, I, like 5'11", 6 feet? Yeah, and I think that that helps add to the quality where... Again, it's just a more believable role. And I would prefer that over someone that just has a cartoonish body. Yeah. So if like Chris Hemsworth was playing the role of John McClane, you would be like, well, he's just going to flex and punch everybody in the head. Now, you don't think that Clint Eastwood? Because, I mean. No. Clint Eastwood, clearly one of his most famous roles is the Dirty Harry. Because Clint Eastwood isn't also charming. I found Bruce Willis yeah, as John right. McClane as also like one of his appeals is he's very charming. He's funny. I don't think Clint Eastwood is yeah, quite as he's funny. He's likeable. a little bit more. Yeah. Can you imagine Clint Eastwood with like the buddy cop bromance over the radio? Yeah. No. With Carl Winslow. I couldn't He'll see be him being as vulnerable. And and is like open, and even when like McLean's talking about like, you know, admitting that he basically screwed up his marriage, and you know he doesn't deserve his wife and stuff like like I don't think that like kind of almost like a hum like it's humility and it's like uh, the physique alone I just would not again. John now Eastwood wasn't like I don't think he was like the. I mean, he was like the seventies. Yeah, but Bruce I guess maybe Willis he was like the seventies version like, of the that again that that like almost like a a little bit of a thicker body type that just seems like could take a beating and a thrashing <laughs> and still like he he flings off of a lot of uh, parts of the building yeah and thrashes into windows. Oh, and he gets beat up. Yeah, Clint Eastwood just doesn't scream every man to me. He just doesn't he just doesn't do Yeah, that I guess I could I could even though he tried to play more of a, you know, just but he is I guess he is kind of all, aside from being like he's more of a loner. He's more He's also very stringy. Like he was he's like much more of a a thinner physique. Okay. Yeah, and I think just so, just so much of John McClane's uh, presence is his body work. I'm, and you know what? Bruce Willis has a lot of 
mouth work that he does. He does a lot of little pursing his lips, that side smile. Again, that's all very charming and very likable. And you're rooting for him the whole time. Clint Eastwood can pull mean at times with yeah. his face. And I, I just think that they were spot on. Now, I also saw that Burt Reynolds was possibly going to be John McClane. Oh, dear God. You give me some be- Burt and I'm. I, I love Burt, but Burt as John McClane. I, I don't know no. if there's a like, to be honest, I don't know if there's a, a situation I would turn, turn down Burt Reynolds in. Can you imagine just see nothing but stash run it like <laughs> Can you had, oh the all the all the dust that he would collect on that yeah. stash and he's always had some of the best hair on the planet could you imagine could you imagine him crawling through the air duct and the, the well, what if his hair piece got caught and, and uh, well there's something they have in common because didn't Bruce Willis for years reportedly also well i don't think he was wearing a hairpiece at that no i think he was he was still i mean it was and that's part of the element too where he's got like the thinning hairline i mean he he definitely has a cheap every man yeah he's the guy you can see at a mets game that's for sure and Um, then i also heard arnold schwarzenegger was going to play him and again that's a big no yeah he would be it one would of be the like the equivalent be, of the Rock doing this now, which the Rock did. What was the the Dante's Inferno? Oh, um, he did Skyscraper. I think that was the name of that movie, Skyscraper. Yeah, which was still a really fun. It was movie, fun, but it was but goofy. I again, that just proves my point. Like a forgettable. Yeah. You know. Yeah, but no, he movie. like uh, you would. Part of the part of the things like where where McLean is having to fight these like he's having to to outwit and he's having to actually then fight some of these like uh, like Carl, who's so big that if you had Schwarzenegger, it's like, who is you who are yeah. you going to get that would be like, oh, well, he's bigger it than going to be like Thor fighting the the little people like just the 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 little people of planet earth like it would just be (laughs) ridiculous and the other thing again is arnold schwarzenegger was also already um like a huge star by then so this was bruce willis's first big role and i just think that that you know well the year before this uh and, and maybe this is why they were rumoring uh, Schwarzenegger is because the year before this, McTiernan did Predator. Right. Now, aside from uh, Clint Eastwood, he owned the rights to the book, uh, and he was going to play when he, you know, was originally planning on playing McLean. Uh, the story in the book was also changed. Uh, for this it was originally not his wife but his daughter who was having now john mcclane was so glad it wasn't in the movie in the book his name is detective joe leland and he's visiting uh the 40-story office headquarters uh where his daughter works and 
imagine if they if they ended the movie this way, where uh, Leland, the McLean character, kills most of the terrorists despite getting no help from the police, and he faces off with the terrorist leader, who would be the Hans Gruber, who was named Anton Gruber in the book. And he's holding his daughter hostage, very much like the final scene. And you remember, uh, now they pulled a lot of the, the set pieces from the book, apparently. But if you remember where Hans is falling out, he's hanging out the window and he holds on to Holly's hand, her wrist, and she's, he's holding on With to the, the Rolex. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's holding on to that Rolex and then he falls. In the story... He pulls the McLean character's daughter with him out the window, and his daughter dies. And then there's the Carl, like at the end, the Carl guy is still alive, and there's that whole him getting shot outside and all that stuff. But it's his daughter, and they kill her. Yeah, I would have hated that. I this would not be a you know an all time every year watch if. Yeah, no. You want to end with uh, uh, John McLean on top. Yeah. And Holly. And then she has that famous punch. Yeah, where she punches the the news news reporter. reporter. Who is a proper sleazeball. There's a lot of good sleazeballs. He's always a sleazeball. Yeah, there's a lot of good sleazeballs in this movie. And I do have to make a correction. They are not terrorists. Everybody refers to them as terrorists. Hans even has that great line that says, who said we were terrorists? Because they are purely in it for the money. They even have that. It's it's so clever where he's just making up <laughs> comrades. I read to... about them in time. Yeah. <laughs> so great. But yeah, I would have hated that ending. I am not. Um, this is just a personal um, taste of mine where I don't like where kids are involved. Um, if she was an adult, that would be one thing. Well, she's working there. So okay, she's she's the adult daughter. But nonetheless. I feel like it's a much better. Um, there's multiple stakes for John McClane where he has the regret where he's obviously trying to repair his marriage and then now he's trying to save her life so it's it's a much more um dynamic uh relationship than just like a father trying to save a daughter and then if she bit it at the end yeah <laughs> that would have been i think terrible. you can pull you can pull that off in a book yeah. You can have an ending like that in a book where it like ends on a sour note like that. But a movie if you end it like that, I you're just I I feel like you're going to just have people walking out. You're asking very for just I mean, I'm sure it would have been still a a real big success, but yeah, like it's it's such a feel good ending. Uh and it has the great effect uh, the Hitchcockian effect where Hans is falling yeah, uh, by himself and then they don't know if it's a hostage or not and it's just him by himself falling. Like all of those components together are just such a better 
ending. See, that's the 40 stories of sheer terror that they advertise on the front of the box. <laughs> it's Han, Hans Gruber's plummeting to the to the ground, which famously Rickman did not know when they were going to release, uh, when they were shooting that. Pretty much everything was done practical effects, which is why everything holds up so well. Um, but famously, Rickman did not know when they were going to release the cable or whatever. Yeah, they did the count and they said, we're going to count to to like 10 or whatever. And then they pulled it early. Yeah. And then that was his real reaction. Speaking of Hans Gruber, Alan Rickman, we said that this was, we noted that this was his first film role. Now, this is a little thing I like to call Stump Samantha. I'm just going to give a heads up. I'm going to try to do this every week. Stump Samantha. I don't like that. Well, I do. Um, I have an ego. You do. I don't want to be wrong. You don't. (laughs) (laughs) And you like to throw in my face uh, that you have clearly seen... uh, that you've not only seen more movies, oh, no, and everything no, else no. than me. Um, I already don't like this. Oh, <laughs> I'm hitting the microphone because. Of- okay, here we go. Uh, for this week, Stump Samantha. Now, on Alan Rickman's IMDb page. Oh, God, he's like a bit of a blind spot for me. Oh, this is perfect. As much as I adore him. There are four films that he is listed as being known for. Well, the ones I know him for probably aren't the ones. Well, on let's the see IMDb. if you can guess the four films. Well, of course, Harry Potter. No. No. Nope. We'll give you three. I know his, his, we'll give you three strikes here. So his that's, last movie that he directed was A Little Chaos. That's not it either. I was going to say, are you just talking? (laughs) (laughs) Are you just talking your way through an answer Um, here? Four films that he's known for. I mean, Die Hard. That's one. Oh, my God. This is embarrassing. You got the one strike for Harry Potter. I know. My brain now is just automatically going to Harry Potter. Oh. I know this is going to make me so mad. <laughs> I don't deal well under pressure. Oh, no. Oh, my God. What is going on? One of them is a very Rickman, very Rickman-esque, very Hans Grubery. I know, and it's just going to make me livid the second. See, this is what happens. It's like... When you hear a song in a car and somebody <laughs> asks you to say another song, yes, my brain can't switch off the last movie I was thinking of. Oh my god, why can't I think of now? He really doesn't have well, he's uh, he did a lot of theater, he did a lot of theater, like a ton of theater. Oh my god, love actually, no, oh my god, <laughs> wait, really? Yeah, no, that's two, it's. Two strikes. You got you got Die Hard. You've whiffed on 
Harry Potter, you whiffed on Love Actually. Harry Potter is not not one, one that he's known for. All right, we're going to be here all night, and you, you might as well. And I'm going to hate myself immediately. Just oh. tell. All me. right, well, this is a victory on the stumping Samantha oh front. Oh my god! It's not that I haven't seen these; it's that I can't think of them right now. Okay, I'm going to give you one. Okay, and you tell me if it's going to kickstart your answers here. Ready? Okay. Sweeney Todd. hating myself right now no my brain is still not galaxy quest oh my god i hate myself (laughs) robin hood oh my god i'm that's it i quit (laughs) all right well samantha not not your best week Uh, we have this cinephile game which if you're into movies the cinephile game is a delight, and I usually crush it. Crush it. We've had some very late nights playing cinephile. Yes. Uh, and you will even say that my range of movies across genres that I've seen is yes, extensive. And you, you have an innate ability to recognize... I have a photographic memory when it comes to faces, but the problem is if I have to come up with off the top of my head, if you ask me this movie, this movie, however we can, any other way to slice it, you trying to rationalize my loss. Yeah, no, you dropped the ball. Uh, So that's a big F. I am shocked that love actually in Harry Potter. One of the biggest. Yeah, I, I, I would not, I would have thought that it would have been uh, Harry Potter for sure. But, I mean, I can see the Robin Hood being an easy one. I haven't seen that. I didn't that think in Galaxy forever. Quest was big enough movie that it would have trumped his other things, but I guess. Galaxy Quest over Harry Potter, that's shocking. Although yeah. it's been around much longer, so. Well, the gauntlet has been thrown down. All right. Um, anything else you'd like to add to. Uh, to die hard. I will say this. Every time I think of this movie, I always think of I have to actively remind myself that Catherine Bigelow did not direct this movie. Because I always think Catherine Bigelow directs <laughs> directed Die Hard. Yeah, I guess it has a little bit of that a little bit of her uh, her feel to it. Yeah, but I just think Die Hard is um, a classic that is endlessly rewatchable. Uh, I think that uh, some action movies have a harder time throughout uh, the years holding up. But I do think that this one is just done so well, um, especially with the practical effects. And again, Bruce Willis, so darn charming that you're in his corner every step of the way. Like some some big stars, you would be bummed out if they were to die in a movie. You would be devastated if anything happened to uh, John McClane. So. Well, that clearly uh, 
was a sentiment that carried through because they kept making these. Yep. Surprisingly, it, it spawned a franchise that lasted up until uh, a good day to die hard in uh, 2013. So many peen jokes in there. Possible peen jokes in the titles. This is true. Uh, and I will say that uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance is one of my all-time favorite movies. That holds a, a special place. I saw it in the theater. All right, great. There you go. Jealous? Maybe, a little bit. I don't think I saw it in the theater, but I watched it on, I watched the VHS tape for about a, a thousand times. Um, so that's it for our first episode. Uh, Might have been a little rocky at times. I'm sure Sam's going to now spend every day between now and the next recording studying up on every IMDb. No, I don't cheat. I'm not a cheater. But <laughs> I will kick myself, and I don't want people to come away from our first episode that I thinking you're a fool. That I am not um, widely versed in film. Okay. Well, we'll put those uh, we'll put those skills to the test uh, in our next episode, which is a, a bonus episode, uh, which you can find on our Patreon page. Uh, if you go to every80smovie.com, it'll direct you there, and it's '80s spelt out. Our bonus episode, we're going to be talking about Don't Open Till Christmas. A, a charming little British, uh, <laughs> I don't know if you could really call it charming, uh, but we're going to be talking about 1984's Don't Open Till Christmas, about people killing Santa Claus. Yeah. And then we're going to be back next week with another Christmas classic Gremlins yeah we'll see if Sam can remember what not to do with Gizmo I know do you yes mm -hmm. alright uh, Sam where can the world find you I am at lipstickandnachos.com which I have not updated in 3 million years this is true but I'm still reachable there. All right. Oh, and uh, our pug, Polly the Pug, is on TikTok. All right. Well, thanks for listening, folks. Uh, like I said, you can uh, check us out on every80smovie.com. And we'll have that episode of uh, Don't Open Till Christmas up soon. Uh, you can also sign up for the every 80 every 80s movie newsletter uh which would be an actual physical newsletter that will be mailed to your house and that's going to include some reviews and a little bit of trivia so doesn't that sound appealing uh like i said uh don't open till christmas is going to be the bonus episode and we'll be back next week with gremlins thanks for listening and adios.